Good. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you do, I'm going to introduce a new sermon series we're starting called uh, Made for More. And I want to encourage you with this because I believe wholeheartedly that when we understand that we are made for more. Hey, can you grab me a drink? Thank you. Um, I got hit with a cold a couple days ago and I got a tickle in my throat and I'm uh, struggling a little bit with talking. But uh, we're starting this whole new sermon series idea that you are made for more. And I want you to understand this reality because I believe wholeheartedly that oftentimes one of the things that we struggle with is understanding that we are made for more, that there's more out there than just what we experience, that oftentimes that I think that we settle for kind of a status quo mentality, that we're good with just getting by. And what I want you to understand is, and I believe this wholeheartedly, for every one of us is that God made you for more than just what you experience even in the day in and day out. That I believe oftentimes we miss out on the bigger things that God has for us because we're good. That's the reality, that we're, we're good with just sitting back or, 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 or sitting in the background, that we're good with not experiencing all that God has for us. And, and I think that that's one of those things. And so if anyone here feels like this, I want you to understand this, that there has to be. As a matter of fact, anybody feel like that? There's got to be more, you know, this whole idea that there's got to be more than just this. You know, on a consistent basis, I'm reminded over and over and over again of just how quickly life goes and how, how quickly things and people pass in and out of your life. Thank you <clears throat> very much. Sorry. As a matter of fact, um, here in just a, a little bit, as soon as we get done, we'll get our children's ministry uh, meeting going, and I'm driving out to Wyoming for my grandmother's, uh, uh, my grandma just passed away. She's 95 years old, or was going to be 95, um, and, and I know, uh, like, don't get me wrong, I'm going to miss my grandmother, but she was 94 years old. She lived a great life. She was starting to suffer from dementia, at which point I was telling some people that made her a very um, person that she was never like, she was very unloving. I don't, I don't want to say she wasn't not unloving. She was very, she got very, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like she was, like she was cussing people out. Like my grandma never cussed at people. Dementia will mess with your mind. She never said a crossword. I don't ever remember her ever saying crosswords. And she even cussed out my, my mom at one point. She was all tripped out. And the doctor was like, that's normal. That's dementia. But it's hard to watch a person like that fail. And so, what I wanted to really experience or what I want us to jump into is this idea that we are made for more. There's so much more that we can experience, so much more that God has for us. And I believe that we just have to reach out and understand that God wants more for us. See, God, I believe, has more for every one of us, but we have to understand what that means. We have to understand what more is. We have to quit thinking about what we can do on our own and start acknowledging that God wants to do more in me and more through me. And so I believe wholeheartedly that sometimes or a lot of times that the, the limits or the barriers we put on ourselves are self-inflicted limits or self-inflicted barriers because we think I, I'm maxed out. This is all I've got. And while that may be the truth, that it's all you've got, I believe wholeheartedly that with a relationship with Jesus, that he has more 
for you, that you can experience more love. You can experience more deeper, more intimate relationships, not just with him, but with others, that, that he wants to have you be a successful person in life. And when I mean that, you know, I know the whole health and wealth and prosperity gospel idea, but listen to me. I believe wholeheartedly that also that God has a plan for you financially and business-wise and work-wise, that he has more for you than just walking through the motions and then living till you're 65 or 70 and going, oh, that's it, that's all I got, I'm done, cash it in, you know, over. You were made for more. I believe he has more for you. God is not going to give you just what you need. He wants to, I believe, bring an abundance into your life that you won't experience apart from him. You will not experience the abundant blessing that God has for you apart for him. So the reality is that many people, I believe wholeheartedly, want more from life. Every person I've ever talked to doesn't go, yeah, you know, I've got enough. I don't need any more. I don't need more friendships. I don't need more influence. I don't need more people. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe I, I say that. Maybe there are a couple of people who are like, you know what, I'd just disappear into a hole and never see anybody. I'd be perfectly fine. Right, But I want you to understand this. I believe wholeheartedly that God has more for us. He has more for us as individuals here, but he has more for us as a church. That we can't be satisfied with what we'll call the status quo because he has more for us. See, you are not born. If I want you to think about this. You are not born with limitations, but with possibilities. But think about this. Usually, we're the ones who set our own limitations on what we can or can't do. Now, again, I'm not the name it, claim it type or things like that, but think about how often we talk ourselves out of doing things that maybe God had in store for us to do in the first place because we let our past discourage us from walking into the future God has for us. You and I are made for more than just living or existing, I should say. We are more, we are made to have a a life that's filled with abundance, a life that's filled with people, a life that's filled with influence and and impact that we can make in the lives of the individual. So if you have your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to focus in on these four verses that I believe are key and important for us to understand because I believe that God expects us to multiply what he has blessed us with. Not just multiply as a church, but to multiply what he has blessed us with individually as well as corporately as a church. That's this law of multiplication. So turn to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, and I want you to understand what's taking place. Those who do not believe, all right, at this point, I'm not reading this yet, but those who do not believe, which is shown by not aligning our lives to Jesus, the perfect cornerstone, are destined for disaster, according to this text. They will fall on their faces. Jesus has become the stone of stumbling. If you were to read the first part of chapter two, it talks about Jesus being the cornerstone, the stone that everybody stumbles over, but that is not who we are. And so Peter gives us these descriptions of who we are in these two verses. Listen to what he says. You're made for more, starting in verse nine, but you are a what? Chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now listen, here's why. He says that all of these things, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. And then verse 11, he says this, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, here's what I believe wholeheartedly. When God wants us to multiply our influences, I believe he wants us to multiply our our impact, our, our leadership, our finances. I believe he wants to multiply everything in us and God wants to stretch the capacity that you and I understand or are capable of. I believe wholeheartedly this, that we as Christians, I would even say that we as a church have gotten very good at being very comfortable and not walking with faith. In other words, what we do day in and day out most of our lives, and I would say this would be the majority of us here, most of our lives in reality requires no faith whatsoever for us to do. A matter of fact, everything that we do usually is just something we do anyways, and then we'll throw faith into it instead of walking by faith in what God wants us to do. And so what I want us to see as we jump into this section of scriptures, this whole idea of what it means to be part of God's kingdom, be part of what God wants to do, that we were made for more. As a matter of fact, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God wants us to live beyond our limitations because he made us with great possibilities. God wants us to live beyond our limitations because he made us with great possibilities. So how do I know what I was made for? You know, if we're talking about this whole idea of being made for more, how do I know what I was made for? And what I wanna do is unpack what I believe are five to six things right in here that I believe and I hope you understand and can begin to apply to your life to understand that, listen, I have got more to give because God has given so much to me that I have got more to give. I have more to offer. I have more abundance that I can provide. I can be a person who impacts and influences others, even if it's a small group or a small ministry. Those are all things that we begin to understand that we're all made for more, that we can't settle for this status quo mentality. We don't wanna stop and just say, hey, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable being in this point or in this state of life. As a matter of fact, there's an old idea that runs throughout American culture, and it's called retirement, right? We work for 50, 60, 70 years, maybe, maybe not quite that long. I don't know. 70 years might be, I don't know. It depends on when you start working. If you're working on a farm at five, it might be, might be that, but we work for this time, and then we're like, hey, you know what? I'm retired, and we retire from everything, and the problem is that's the lie of the American culture. Just quit. You don't have any, you're not bringing any value or maybe I just don't want to bring any value anymore. I don't know. So I just quit. I'm just going to sit back. I'm not going to do anything. And I believe wholeheartedly that's contrary or counterproductive to what scripture has for us. So how do I know what I was made for? And here's what I want to say. I want to say these, I've got six things. Number one, that you are accepted. In other words, you are chosen. Listen again what he says, but you are a chosen People. There's this idea that plays out throughout Scripture, and we have to begin to see this played out from Old Testament all the way into New Testament, but that we are set apart. We are chosen by God. In other words, when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that I have been chosen by him. 
I have been taken care of. I have been united with him. Matter of fact, Eugene Peterson in the message says this, you are the ones chosen by God from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Now listen to me, I believe wholeheartedly that there's this aspect that plays out, that Jesus died for all. But when I choose to reject or walk away or deny Jesus, then I have not chosen him. And so I am not one of the chosen ones. I have not put my faith in Jesus. And as a result of not putting my faith in Jesus, then I am not part of what would be called in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. I'm not a part of the family of God. But listen to what he says. You are a chosen people. In other words, you have been chosen by God. We seek acceptance from people all the time, don't we? Like anybody remember back in elementary school getting like breaking up and dividing into teams? Why do we like acceptance so much? What? Because they pick us, right? Acceptance is actually saying that they want us. They chose me. It's this idea that, and maybe you're the person who wasn't chosen. Maybe you're like, you know what? That's why I hate sports. That could be. I don't know. You know, every one of us has a different opinion on this idea of acceptance or being chosen. A lot of us strive for acceptance because we look at acceptance of other people as the validation of who we are. Listen to me when I say this. I want you to understand this, that you are accepted by God through the blood of Jesus so you are a chosen people. That when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, that Jesus is the only way, that I become part of the chosen group, the part of the people that God has set apart for a reason. And so when I am chosen, we are driven to this point of understanding that we are accepted by God, that we love the feeling of being accepted by God. And so he lays this out, you are a chosen people. And so listen, here's how we begin to unpack this. And I wanna link this because this is a link to Jesus in the bigger picture, all right? That a chosen and honored cornerstone, if you were to jump up into verse four, it says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then listen to what he says in verse six. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There is a unity here that takes place that I can understand that I am made for more. And the reason I am made for more is because I am obedient to the son who was chosen by the father. He is the chosen cornerstone, the one that would be chosen to sacrifice himself to the to the death of him on the cross for the sins of mankind. But listen, the one who also, listen, was chosen to rise again, to defeat the sin, to defeat death, to defeat the grave and everything else. You and I are chosen. And so listen, here's what happened in the past. The role of Israel in the past was they refused to be the people of God. They refused to be the chosen ones because they consistently walked in disobedience. All throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over and over and over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, the, the group that's sitting in our class on Sunday mornings would even tell you this, is this idea of how Israel and the people of Israel consistently walked in disobedience to God, even though they were the chosen people. And listen, 
today, at least according to what we read in the New Testament, that the church is the chosen people. And we're called to walk in obedience. We are accepted as broken, sinful people by the blood of Jesus Christ when we put our faith and trust in him. And so we are chosen, we are set apart and you and I are the church. And when we by faith make Jesus our Lord and Savior, we begin to understand that we are accepted. We are the chosen ones. In other words, that God has put his blessing upon us because of obedience to the son first and foremost. That's how we become the chosen ones. It's not anything we do. It's not anything that you and I can offer. It's not like, oh, hey, we did all these things for you. It's just the simple fact that we are chosen in Jesus. Number two, how do I know I was made for more? Number one, we said you are accepted. In other words, you are chosen. Number two, you are capable. You and I are capable for so much more. The problem is we begin to not understand it. You are capable because you are a royal priesthood. Listen to what he says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now, there's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna kind of maybe offend some. As a matter of fact, if you grew up in a Catholic setting or a Catholic background, you might understand this, but priests belong to the king. Priests belong to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. As a matter of fact, one of the things that, one of the reasons why we don't identify people as priests because Jesus was the last priest, the high priest, the only priest, the perfect priest who made the perfect sacrifice of the blood of himself on the cross so that nobody else would ever have to make a sacrifice again. So we don't identify individuals as priests. But what we do say is that we are called to be a chosen people and a royal priesthood. Matter of fact, Baptists say it this way. We have a thing called the priesthood of the believer. Do you know what that is? Good, I'm gonna tell you. The priesthood of the believer means that I don't have to go to anybody other than God himself. I don't have to go to a priest and confess my sins. Why? Because I go to the Lord. Because he is faithful and just to forgive me of any and all unrighteousness. I don't have to go to a priest to read my Bible because I can go directly to the Lord. Because when Jesus died, it says that the veil between the temple was torn in two. And now man has access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, not through anybody else. You and I are called to be a royal priesthood. In other words, we live as people who have ministry on our mind, a person who serves God and has the right access to God that we don't have to rely upon, listen to me, we don't have to rely upon a priest to get us in a right standing relationship. Why? Because Jesus, the high priest, is the one who got us in the right standing relationship. I don't have to go to confession because I can go to confession on my own with the Father in my house or in my car, I can confess to the Father through the Son and asking him to forgive me. That's the beauty of this whole idea that we are made for more. You are made for more than just some legalistic, ritualistic attempt by man to try and reach out to God. And so I can be the person that God has called me to be. The priest of the believer means that I don't have to go through anybody else. I stay obedient to his word. I can access God, the Father, through the Son by having a relationship with Jesus, by talking to him, by praying with him, by praying uh, in, in that way. So there's this whole idea that I am capable of having access to God, the Father. And so I am capable of doing more than I could ever ask or imagine. That you were made for more. 
And listen, I know over and over and over, society may beat you down and, 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 and tear you up, or maybe there's just some inconsistencies, or maybe there's some struggles and, and some things that you've faced in your life that you sit back and go, you know what, I just don't, I don't know that I believe that. But listen to me, I want you to understand this wholeheartedly, that everybody here was made for more than what you're experiencing. Everybody here, regardless of your past, you are made for more more than what you experience on your daily basis, more than what you are experiencing right now, more than what you can even ask or imagine right now. God has so much more in store for his people, his chosen people, his royal priesthood. You are capable because you are part of that priestly value. See, the veil has been torn apart and now we have access to God. We're the royal priesthood. Number three, how do I know I was made for more? I was set apart, or you and I are set apart. Listen to what he says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. I want you to keep in mind that the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the people, not the building. The church is the bride of Christ. And just as the nation of Israel was called to be a holy people, the church is called to be a holy people. Now, let's, let's play this out just a little bit. All right? This whole idea of being a holy nation is that we are God's people and holy carries this idea that we are holy and set apart. Let's think about this term and, and idea of holiness. What does that mean? How does that play out? If I was to say something is holy, what's that mean for my life? Holy means set apart. It means different it means pure, it means undefiled. Now this is where we start to go, uh-oh. I'm a holy nation. I'm part of a holy nation. I'm supposed to be set apart. Yeah, you and I are set apart. And I believe wholeheartedly the reason we don't experience more is usually this becomes the stumbling block. We don't strive for holiness we don't long for holiness. We don't ask God to, to show us where we have unholiness or unrighteousness. We'll, we'll just kind of cover it up. Matter of fact, we worry more about covering up so everybody else can't see, and then we don't worry about what God can see. When God says, listen, the reason you're not experiencing more in your life is usually because there's sin in your life. There's sin in the camp. There's something that you have allowed to hinder you or stop you or slow you down. And you don't go to God for forgiveness. You don't ask for forgiveness. You don't go to God to confess, but you cover it up and you're just like, well, you know what? It's just a little, it's not that big. Come on, I'm better than that dude over there. Now we're right back to the elementary school game, right? Why'd you pick him? I could kick the ball better than he can. Now we're just in a comparison game. When the reality should be is that I understand that you and I are set apart. We are God's people. We are holy and set apart. It refers, listen, to our calling as a people to be set apart for God, to be pure, unadulterated, unchallenged, un. Righteous, I mean righteous, not unrighteous things. And so our holiness, listen, comes from a God who made a covenant with us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we're made right. That's how we're redeemed. That's how we're bought. That's how we're made holy. And listen, we can do great things, but when we try to do it apart from God and when we walk away, we never experience the more that God has for us because we say, you know what? I got it on my own. 
Made for more means that I have to understand that I am set apart for something better, something greater. And maybe that's the issue right there. Maybe in our minds, in some way, shape, or form, we go, you know what? I just don't know that anything can get that much better. Or maybe we're just good at settling and saying, you know what? I'm good with where I'm at. When I believe wholeheartedly that God has more for everybody here, more influence with those who are lost, more desire to reach those who are lost, more ability to give out of the generosity and overflow of what God has already blessed you with, more ability to lead and to show people love and compassion. See, I believe that we can do great things when we follow what God has set us apart for, when we follow and obey his word, when we follow and obey his commands. Matter of fact, the Lord says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And I'm not trying to play some legalistic beat down or brow beating up here, but I want you to understand this, that when we talk about this whole idea of being set apart, that means we're different. That means that believers are different. A person who follows Jesus is different from everybody else. Doesn't mean you're gonna be sinless. It does mean you should sin less. It doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. It does mean that you're gonna fail. It does mean that you're gonna go to Jesus and admit your failings and things like that. But it's this idea that when we set it apart or set this desire on holiness is that we strive not to please man, but we strive to please who? God. You and I are set apart and we don't strive to please man, but we strive to please God. You and I were made for more. Number four, How do I know I was made for four? Listen to number four, because you are free. You are forgiven. Listen to what he says. You are a chosen priest or a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous or wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, you are free. You are forgiven. One of the reasons I believe wholeheartedly that we continue to struggle with dealing with this idea of being made for more is the fact that we let our past act as a weight or a bondage or a chain that holds us and we're never able to move into the future. We're not able to understand that God has so much more for me, for my marriage, for my family, for my work, for my every bit about my life. God has so much more for me because we're rather comfortable in sitting back and letting our past hold us. Your past can never be excused to stop you from your future. Everybody's got a past. Everybody's got pain. Everybody's got sorrow and heartache and hurt. Some have more than others. I'm not going to say that it's not that case. But I also want you to know this, that your past cannot hold you back from the future that God has for you. Because that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to take the chains and the weight and he wants to throw them over your shoulders and he wants you to think that you have to carry them on your own. You are free. You are forgiven. 
you are redeemed, you are blood-bought, you are purchased, then when Satan throws that idea that your past is what can hold you back, all you gotta do is throw it back in his face and say, you know what? I have been redeemed. My chains, I have been set free from those. The weight and the burden and the bondage that you're trying to bear me with, I have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I am free, I am forgiven. You're not gonna use my past to hold me back from the future. Listen to me, you are made for more. All of us have to begin to understand that. And I don't care where you're at socioeconomic wise within this, that God has more for you than you can even begin to ask, imagine, or think about. Listen, I know, I know I'm walking on some dangerous lines here at times, especially in the Baptist world with this idea, all right? But I believe wholeheartedly that we are our own worst enemies when it comes to thoughts, well, I don't want to get all charismatic, Brian, so we can't be doing that. You're, 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 you're kind of walking a, a crazy line there right now. No. How often are you trapped in bondage by the thoughts that I just can't, I can't do it? This is just the way it is. This is my past. This is the way it's going to be. I got to deal with it. People are going to have to deal with it. They're just going to have to deal with me. They're going to have to deal with my attitude. They're going to have to deal with my personality. No, you're made for more. God wants you to experience so much more in your life than what you are even experiencing right now. You're free, you're forgiven. I can't imagine. I see a lot of these going on recently, it seems like, but but people who are being found innocent after they've served years in, in jail. Can you imagine? 20 years in prison being told what you got to do for every day, every minute of every day. And all of a sudden you experience freedom. I can't even begin to imagine what I would do. First day out, what, where would I go? What would I say? How would I act? Who would I see? What would I eat? Listen to me, that's exactly what goes on in our lives when we're trapped in the bondage of everything that we try and hold on to instead of walking in the freedom that God has set you aside for. You are free. And that freedom, with that forgiveness, with that freedom comes this idea that God has made me for more. Verses nine and 10 are huge. And listen to what he says again. You were not, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have received the mercy. Don't let the past hold you back from the future that God has for you. You were made for more. Number five is this. I believe wholeheartedly. How do I know I was made for more? Then I have to understand this, that you are accountable. You are accountable. In other words, if you look at verse 11, as we jump into it and we read it earlier, he says this, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. Listen to this whole idea and we have to begin to understand this as we wrap it around. In order to understand that we're made for more, then I have to understand that I have to abstain from the evil or sinful desires, which, listen to what it says, wage war against your soul. Listen to me, over and over and over and over again, I have to constantly think about this idea. Is this a fleshly desire or is this a godly desire? Because there are a lot of desires I have that are really cool and really nice 
and would be really accepted by the world. And when it comes down to it, I can look and go, that's a flesh. That's the desire of the sinful nature. That's the desire of man. As a matter of fact, acceptance oftentimes is that. We'll do whatever it takes to, to please the crowd, to gain the acceptance of those who are around us when the reality is all we need is the acceptance of God. And so there's this idea that we have to understand that we are accountable for everything that we do. So if we're called to be a, a holy nation, there's this idea that we are then accountable as individuals to God and that we can't give in to the sinful desires that wage war against our soul. So listen, God calls us to live in obedience to him. And the reason many of us, I believe, don't experience more is because we aren't faithful in the little things. It's the whole idea of the law of multiplication and then this idea of the law of reaping and sowing. That I reap what I sow. And here's the crazy thing about it is oftentimes we want what others have but we're not willing to do what others have done to get it. And that can go in a multitude of directions. We want a better marriage, but we're not willing to put in the effort and energy that others who have a great marriage are willing to put in. We want more finances, but we're not willing to put in more effort and energy into being smarter and wiser with our finances. We want to be a spiritual giant who can lead and nourish and teach other people, but we're not willing to put in the effort and the energy and the desire to learn and grow and be obedient to what God has called us to do. Is that kind of the run of the mill road? You know, oftentimes we look at others who are above us as the comparison factor when the reality is we just have to look at what God has called us to do. See, your job and my job is to be obedient to God, period. And that means then I have to abstain from other things. And so we can go all throughout scripture and look, but I believe wholeheartedly that we just have to live in obedience to what God has called us to do. How do I do that? I need to be obedient to his word. Listen to again what he says. I urge you as aliens and strangers of this world. Now think about that. You know, kind of the old adage, if you saw an alien, you're not gonna run up to him and be like, hey, what's going on? Not that I really expect to see aliens. But if I saw a stranger, most people don't approach a stranger, do they? but I live as an alien and a stranger in this world. In other words, I am the odd one out. Why? Because I have chosen to abstain from what the world says is acceptable and I've chosen to be obedient to what God has called me to do in the first place. How can I experience more? By being a holy people who don't do unholy things. I have to live by Christian values and when they conflict with those of society, we must be willing to endure graciously the grief and alienation that will inevitably come. Now that's a hard road to worry about and a hard thing to think about right now, but I want you to understand this, that as we live by Christian values, when they conflict with those of society, we must be willing to endure graciously the grief and alienation that will inevitably come or we're no longer set apart, we're no longer holy, we're no longer strangers and aliens in a world. You and I are made for more. And number six, I want you to think about this. And this is, this is how I wanna wrap up because I think this is the most exciting part. Number six, you are light. 
And this has everything to do with worship. Listen to what he says. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter five says this. Neither do the people light, or sorry, it says you're a light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, the reality is this, that when we proclaim the praise of the Lord in our lives, then other people see that. When we abstain from what everything else the world says, then other people see that. And all of that points back to God. Matter of fact, if we were to jump in and see this, we begin to see that all of these things happen as a result of worship. If you jump back to verse nine, it says you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So there's that worship aspect, you are light. But then he goes on, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. See, when we live knowing that we are made for more, when we stop comparing ourselves to the world and stop trying to gain its acceptance, then we begin, I believe wholeheartedly, to see our value, our worth, and that God has more for you than you could ever imagine. See, the truth of the matter is when we try and gain the worldly acceptance and we try and gain worldly position and, 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 and acceptance in those types of things, then we miss out on the more that God has for us and we settle for the less that the world has for us. If you remember, the Bible's very clear. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly, this idea of being made for more, the reality is that most of us miss out because we'd rather settle for the small dream, maybe the American dream mentality, than living for the made for more that God has for you. You and I are made for more. More than just existing, but thriving. More than just giving, but living generously. More than just influence, but massive impact, because that's what the gospel was calling us to do. That's what Jesus called us to do. That was the role of the disciples and how they played out, how they upset or turned over a world in a very brief few years is that they lived with this idea that God made them for more. But listen, here's the struggle. It's easy to go back to what you know. And most of us know that you just don't rock the horse. You don't, you don't, well, whatever. That was a bad, you, you just don't, you don't, you don't go against the flow. Just go and do what everybody else is doing. And I believe wholeheartedly this whole idea of being made for more that when you go and do what everybody else is doing, you're gonna get what everybody else got. When God said, I don't want you to get what everybody else got. I want you to get what I have for you. I want you to experience the life, the abundant life that I talk about consistently throughout my word, that when you follow me, when you're obedient to me, that you're gonna experience my grace. You're gonna experience my blessing. You're gonna experience my favor that he pours out consistently on his people who are obedient to him. You and I are made for more. 
The simple question is, are you going to settle for less? Father, we pray. We pray today that we would understand what it means to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. That God, in the midst of everything that we go through, in the midst of the difficulties and struggles, the trials, the temptations, the, the... maybe the broken and hurting past that we deal with, that you desire for us to experience more in a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray today that maybe we would just begin to understand. Maybe it would be setting something aside to confess some sins that we are dealing with, to say, hey, you know what? I've been trapped by this burden or this bondage. Of, I've been a slave to this, this sin in my life. God, I pray that you would reveal it to us today. God, I pray that we as a church would understand what it means to be made for more. That as we individually grow in our relationship with you, that we become corporately stronger together. That together we can accomplish more as a church than if we try and do things on our own and apart. And so Lord, I pray today that we would just be a church that understands that we are made for more, that we don't want to settle for status quo and even thinking about the past, but we want to move into the future because we know you have something great in store for that. God, if there's anybody here today who's never put their faith and trust in Jesus, that they would nail that down. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do.